I'm so happy to be here today. You know, um, what a great worship time of worship we just had, right? I mean, gosh, I love some of those songs. All hail King Jesus. I just love yelling all hail King Jesus, you know, and so I just am happy to be here. Mary Ann's happy to be here. And uh, that was quite an intro, but I'm just going to talk a little bit more about who I am, just for those of you who don't know me. As she said, I live in Lawrence. I'm married to Mary Ann who is a fitness instructor for the Lawrence Parks and Rec and for a a gym locally called Genesis. And she's also certified in uh, um, a a type of fitness called Revelation Wellness, which kind of fuses faith and fitness. And uh, we don't have any kids, but we have been jumping through all kinds of hoops and expect to be adopting out of the foster care system in 2018. And as she said, I run a, a financial advisory firm. That's the short way of saying that. Um, I'm here to talk to us today about kingdom ambition or godly ambition. And ambition in some circles uh, is sometimes seen as, as uh, a bad thing, right? Uh, in some Christian cir- circles especially. And depending on a person, person's intense, intentions and condition of their heart, it absolutely can be a bad thing. Uh, ambition is defined, worldly ambition is defined as an intense drive for success or power. A desire to achieve honor, wealth, or fame. To be ambitious in the worldly sense is essentially to be determined to have more than your neighbor. Its motto is, he with the most toys wins. Ambition strives to be number one. But listen, there's a God-given drive in each one of us to accomplish something significant in our lives. So how do you reconcile those two things, right? Where the world teaches us to go all out to be the best, to have a bigger house, a fancier car, and a larger paycheck than our neighbor, the Bible teaches us the opposite. In Philippians 2.3, it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Let lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So that's Philippians 2.3. And then in 2 Corinthians 5.9, which is in your bulletin, I have a shorter version, but look at the one in your bulletin. Um, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. And it goes on in verse 10. But clearly, you know, there is a godly ambition. God wants us to, to get after it, so to speak, in life. And I was, as I was researching this today, you know, I, I ran into the Greek word for ambition, which is philotimo. And I would encourage you to kind of dig deep into that. I don't have time today, but what I found out about that word philotimo is it's just, it's more of a concept than a, than a translation from word to word. And it's super interesting. So philotimo, go dig down a little bit deeper in, into that word this week. And um, it's, it's just an interesting word. But in the Greek, it, philotimo means literally to esteem as an honor. Being ambitious in and of itself is not wrong. It's what we esteem or honor that can be a problem. The Bible teaches that we should be ambitious, yet the objective is to be accepted by Christ, not by the world. Christ teaches us that to be first in the kingdom is to become a servant. And there's all kinds of biblical you know, references to that. The first shall be the last, right? Our passions and interests in different vocations or possible vocations 
can be clues that offer insight into the purposes that God has designed us for. For instance, Marianne, she had an interest. She likes to be fit. She likes to exercise and work out. And so God made a way for that to become her vocation. And not only did she become a fitness instructor in a secular sense, you know, at a secular gym, but he found a way for her to fuse faith with, with uh, fitness. He found a way to help her turn her workout into a form of worship. And that's, for me as her husband, really cool to watch that transform. And now she's about to become, uh, go to this leadership training, which will help her to be uh, leading other people who are, in, who are certified in this revelation wellness. So very cool. Her, her passions, her interests became her vocation and her ambition. So what I want you to understand is that the key is that it's not about us getting recognition or accolades or pats on the back, but about glorifying God and advancing his kingdom with and through every area of our lives. That's what it's about. And I'll come back to that a little bit in a, in a second. But you've got to know a little bit about me. Uh, I grew up in Minnesota, raised in the Lutheran tradition, Missouri Synod. I don't know what that means to you, but Missouri Synod Lutheran Church. In fact, I was infant baptized by my grandfather, who was a Lutheran pastor. My mom taught my Sunday school class and made sure that I learned all the important Bible stories. Um, and uh, one of my favorite growing up was was the story of Jonah and the whale. How many of you know Jonah and the whale, right? He, he was disobeying God, so God put him in the belly of a whale. And uh, somehow, he, you know, I don't know, how, maybe I'm dating myself, but uh, uh, back when I was in Sunday school, there was some old, old school Christian Sunday school material, you know, animated or whatever, where Jonah's in the belly of this whale with a candle. And I always wondered, how do you get the candle? <laughs> And then, how do you get it lit? And I was telling Jonathan about this. He's like, whale oil. I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't answer the question. You know, so anyway, I, was, I always wondered about that, and, and, but I, I digress. Um, I left home after uh, high school graduation, and after I left home, I think like many of us who are raised in the church, I was like, okay, I'm free. You know, I stopped going to church and really just started living for myself. Um, I didn't even go to church after the age of 18. I, I wasn't following Christ. Uh, for me, up until that time, church was more of an obligation. Um, and I wasn't, you know, I was taught a lot about Jesus as my Savior. But rarely, if ever, did I hear anything about Jesus in the context of my Lord. Okay? And discipleship as an as a active way of life, being a disciple, making disciples, was, was foreign to me. Um, it was not emphasized, and I never heard about, much less understood, the concept and message of the kingdom of God until I was in my late 30s and started to attend Morning Star Church in Lawrence. To me, Christianity was about believing in Jesus for salvation, managing my sin as I passed through this evil world on my way to heaven. That was Christianity to me. But what drove me? I was blessed with some financial success in my early 20s. I lived in Orange County, California. And at that time, I was driven by what the world and culture said made me successful. And what would you guess some of those things are? What does the world and culture say makes you successful, John? Having a lot of money and nice stuff. There you go. 
What's, on, what's another thing? Money and nice stuff. What, what's, what, is the, what, are you, what makes you successful in the culture? House? Power. 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 Status. Right? Exactly. Title. And so that's what I was, that, that was what was driving me, fueling me. I wasn't following Jesus. Incidentally, I have no relationships from the 10 years that I lived in California. I haven't kept in touch with even one person that I consider to be my friend from that period of time. Pretty sad, huh? But in 2005, at the age of 30, I moved to Chicago in order to be in the heart of the commodity trading industry and ended up working at the Chicago Board of Trade. There I saw people that seemingly had it all. I mean, I mean they had a lot of money, but they weren't happy. I rarely saw true happiness. On many occasions, I remember riding up the elevator at the Chicago Board of Trade at about 6 in the morning with people I knew had six, seven, eight figures, tens of millions, right? And they had just come from a nearby bar doing shots of vodka before they went to the trading floor to trade corn or cattle or whatever it was. So they were doing shots of vodka at 6 in the morning and were very miserable people, even though they had, in some cases, tens of millions of dollars. So I remember thinking, if this person, who seemingly has everything, that the world says makes you successful, was apparently miserable, then what's the point of killing myself to gain that kind of success? So that, that, those kinds of things are how the Holy Spirit kind of started to call me back home. You know, It's like, what are we doing this for? So back then, what was my ambition fueled by? Was it God-given or self-driven? Like I said, I started hearing God's voice again. And, and over time, Marianne and I both started to hear the quiet and gentle voice of Jesus starting to call us home. As we began to feel that gravitational pull of the Holy Spirit, we decided to attend an Easter service at an old 100-plus-year-old Lutheran church in Chicago. And, uh, man, it was packed. It was Easter. The place was packed. We're like, man, this is good. You know, we liked it. But then we went back the next Sunday, and it wasn't quite as full. Sunday after that, night not quite as full. And pretty soon there was about half the congregation that was there. And I remember the pastor giving kind of a desperate-sounding speech about finances. <laughs> right? <laughs> he didn't have enough people coming. And, um, you know... We just eventually stopped going because there just wasn't any life there. We weren't developing any relationships. We weren't getting connected. And um, so it just wasn't, we knew that it wasn't where God wanted us. We, were, we weren't really sure what our next step should be, but we did know that Jesus continued to work on us individually and as a couple. We just didn't know what the next steps were. And in my time at the Chicago Board of Trade, I served a lot of clients, but there was one guy in particular that I developed a really strong relationship with. And his name's Don Berman. How many of you here know Don Berman? All right, so there's some people that know Don. He goes to my church in, in Lawrence. And uh, for several years, Don was after me to leave the Chicago Board of Trade, which he called that den of vipers, <laughs> and moved to Lawrence to work with him at, at his uh, financial advisory practice. I told him, Kansas is a place I fly over or drive through and don't have to stop, if at all possible. <laughs> but on Memorial Day of 2010, 
Um, Marianne and I had a four-day weekend, which was rare in my business at the time. My mom lived in Peoria, Illinois, which was like two hours in the direction of Lawrence. So we decided, hey, let's stop at mom's, have dinner, spend the night, get up and drive to Lawrence more than anything to shut Don up. Um, Because I couldn't think of any other real reason to visit, honestly. Um, (laughs) So um, we stayed two nights. We got the Dime Store Tour of Lawrence, which means we went to Free State Brewery, of course, and uh, drove around Clinton Lake. That's the Tour of Lawrence. Uh, and then they, they brought us, oh, we, we had a barbecue at Don's house with Steve Strom and Rich Lorenzo. So I met those two guys. I don't know what that says about my first impression of Lawrence or not. But um, anyway, we went to Lawrence, uh, went to Morningstar for the 11 o'clock service. And uh, then we got right back on I-70 from that service to head back to Chicago. And our, our conversation was not a question of, maybe, maybe this would be something that we should think about. It was like, how fast can we get to Lawrence? Wow. You know, it was like, how quickly can we tie up loose ends and get our butts to Lawrence? Because it was clear to both of us, without talking, that the Holy Spirit was calling us to build and grow with that faith community. The, the job that Don was offering me was, a, was, you know, a plus, but it was secondary to the strong call that Marianne and I felt to, go t- to move our butts to Lawrence, Kansas, of all places, where we knew nobody, really. But we listened. We obeyed that call, and three months later on Labor Day, we rolled into Lawrence in our U-Haul. We were fully aware we were starting over from scratch in pretty much every area of our lives, and That was scary, but we had a peace about it. Um, Long story short, we began developing relationships with great people people of faith, like John here. And we began to attend kingdom living groups and to hear the message of the kingdom. And really, we started to understand the, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, in an entirely different way, a new way, a fresh way, a meaningful way. And we went through some biblical worldview training, which helped me understand not only what I believe, but why I believe it. And that, by the way, is extremely important. Please, if you don't know why you believe what you believe, make a serious effort to find that out. The why is very important. Why do you believe what you believe? Ask God to show you. So over the past few years, God has continued to bless my wife and I financially and in a host of other ways. I'm now partner owner of my business, which we rebranded a year ago. It was called Great Plains Financial Group, but now it's called 1522 Financial Partners after Proverbs 1522, which says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Now Jesus is not only my Savior, but He's the Lord of my life. Now it's not so much that I'm ambitious, but that I'm obedient to what God is asking me to do with the gifts and talents that He's given to me. So I would like you to ask yourself, have you taken stock of what God is calling you to do in this season of life that you're in right now? For example, if you're working at a server at a restaurant, what does godly ambition look like to you? If you're stocking shelves at Walmart, what if you're a student? What does godly ambition mean if you're a student? I'll tell you what I think. It means build relationships. Because God is a relational God. Build relationships. Go out of your way to smile and encourage a coworker or a customer. Look for opportunities to serve other people 
as they look to accomplish what God has called them to do, as, as, as to accomplish their mission in life. Ask yourself, what drives me? What fuels me? Is it God-given or is it self-driven? If it's self-driven, ambition will many times lead to greed, comparison, envy, abuse of power, and many other things you don't want to be led to. Ambition, what about ambition outside the workplace? We've talked a little bit about work, but what does ambition look like outside of an occupation or a job? How are you exercising your God-given talents for the kingdom outside your job? You know, in your local community, Rachel mentioned that I'm on the board of a nonprofit that helps families experiencing homelessness. You know, our church hosts those families once a quarter. And um, so is there, is there anything that you could be doing out in the community that's going to lift God up and expand His kingdom? If you're not doing anything like that, look for ways to volunteer. There's plenty of ways to do that. What about, uh, what does is, what is ambition look like in church? For me, how many here have been to a men's encounter? Raise them high, boys. All right. If you haven't, there's going to be one coming up, and Jonathan will make sure that you get there. <laughs> lead, I lead small groups. I build relationships. I'm try, I, I try to be intentional about looking for new people at church on Sunday and, and going up and introducing myself like Elaine Wisdom just did, thinking we were new community folks. <laughs> Right? But that's what it's about, man. Get, meet new people. Smile at them. Shake their hand. Um, have students over for dinner. We, we do that occasionally. You know, that blesses. I know that blesses you students, right? <laughs> is it God-given or is it self-driven? I hope that's what sticks. We do not serve a God of chaos and confusion. We serve a God of peace and order. Kingdom ambition drives us to ask the following question. What is God trying to teach me through my present circumstances? Kingdom Ambition asks, what is God preparing me for? Whatever the answer to that question is for you, it's only one or two things. Hear me. One or two things at a time. Figure out what those one or two things are and get after it. When you get it, you and God are going to rejoice And then he's going to move you on to the next thing that he has for you. And that training regimen is called sanctification. And sometimes it can be scary, but I'm telling you, embrace it. Embrace that process of sanctification. And I want to talk a little bit about patience, too. Sometimes we tend to feel like God has us in a holding pattern. And that maybe we just need to wait on God's timing. And then it'll become all clear. Or is that just me who sometimes feel like I'm in a holding pattern? Right? Listen, patience is not just waiting on God. It's working your butt off and trusting in God's timing. Okay? Patience isn't just waiting around for God to do something. Patience is working your butt off and trusting in God's timing. And that leads me to the idea of diligence. Diligence is really just a fancy word for hard work and perseverance. And Ecclesiastes 9.10, which Jonathan put in your bulletin, says, Whatever you do, do well. For when you go to the grave, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. That's my version anyway. So do well. Whatever you do, do it. Do it well. Do it excellent. Call to greatness, right? Diligence is one of the huge keys to bringing about the kingdom vision that God has given you. 
It's a necessary ingredient to seeing your ambition become reality. Think about some of your favorite personalities in the Bible. Abraham, Noah, David, Joshua. I mean, there's just tons of ambitious people in the Bible. I should have put a woman, because there's plenty of them too. But look at Noah. How many of you would say that Noah had to have some serious kingdom ambition to envision and design and build the ark? I mean, right? How many of you think he would have been able to finish it without consistent and persistent diligence and hard work? He'd have been floating around without a boat. How many of you think he would have been able to uh, have the mindset to just get up every day and pour his effort and time into that big boat? We have to have a mindset that we're willing to do anything God asks of us for the kingdom, even if it means cleaning toilets. Or worse. And if you think that there's someone here, here today that needed to hear that, and you don't think it's you, it's, it's for you. Okay? So as I, as I get ready to close here, I just want to quote a young man that many of you are probably familiar with, especially since your K-State Wildcats just defeated the Sooners recently. Trey Young, Oklahoma basketball freshman phenom, talking about studying videos uh, of great point guards throughout history. He said this, you know, I wouldn't really look at the highlights or the mixtapes. I'd look at a tape of them doing drills. So this guy's watching point guards drill. How boring is that? He doesn't focus on the end result, guys. He's focused on the work that they put in to get that result. That's diligence. Sometimes it just looks and feels like you're grinding away. But that is what leads to that end result that you're looking for. So as you move through life in the months and years to come, and, and, and uh, as you consider what God is revealing to you through your seasons and circumstances, remember to ask yourself, and God, what is driving you? Ask yourself, is what I'm being fueled by God-given or is it self-driven? God bless you guys. Thank you. I had this kind of discovery this week. You time and 